Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The shark babe has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white, just a jackknife. So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take. Me, Andy Clark, and Matt Macklin holding the reins as always. Hope everybody's well. Hope you had a good Easter weekend. The sun's come out. We're now on British summertime. The days are a bit longer, and it definitely, I think, Gives everybody uh, a bit of a, a bit of a lift, and I hope you enjoyed last week's podcast with Professor Damien Hughes from Great Boxing Stock. Of course, Damien, his dad being Brian, he grew up around the sport now, an elite performance and cultures expert, and it was great to talk to him about the kind of pitfalls that boxers can fall into, and mindset and mentality, and and all that kind of thing. It, it got quite deep at points. It, it was quite funny in stages. Some of the things he came out with were 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 fascinating really so we'll get him back at some point in the future certainly that's now up on youtube as well as being on the audio format so if you haven't got over to the youtube channel just yet if you're listening to the to this and you haven't had a look at it that'd be great if you could and and click subscribe as well that would that would be a big help to us so on to today's podcast and today we welcome to macklin's take one of the most influential uh, print journalists in in boxing because he is the editor of Boxing News, established in 1909. The best boxing magazine um, around was then, is now, always will be. As far as I'm concerned, I'm a subscriber and have been for for quite some time. He, he also co-hosts with Alex Steedman the Boxing News podcast, and recently he was voted at the Sports Journalism Awards Special Correspondent of the Year. And I'm glad to say that he's remained grounded. I can see the award on the bookcase in the background there. I actually made him put it there. I, I made him put it there a few minutes ago. I did wonder whether we'd have to go through his agent to get him onto Macklin's take now that he's now that he's uh, such a storied and celebrated operator. Uh, but I, I'm glad to say that wasn't the case. He, he's, he's humble, as always. It's Matt Christie. Matt, how are you doing? 
I'm just absolutely blown away by that intro, to be honest with you. Thank you very much, Andy. <laughs> no problem. You know, no problem. Not, not, for, not for me to say you went over the top, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Clean, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just wondering, what's that owl doing behind you? Oh, my owl. Yeah. No, well, somebody else has noticed that. I just, I just like owls. It's as, it's as simple as that. Are you subconsciously trying to like put it out there that you're a wise old owl? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I need to do that subconsciously. I am wise. Everybody, you know, that's the stares everybody in the face. It just deafens them in the ears every time they, every time they listen to this. I don't know. I just, um, uh, I just think owls are cool. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. And of course, they're clever as well. So there's a direct parallel between, between, <laughs> between the two of us. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what a start. What a start. Um, let's just talk about the about the award though because it's been a hell of a year for for everybody but but particularly if you're the editor of a weekly magazine a large part of which certainly not all of it people who read it will know that there's all sorts of things that go into boxing news but a large part of it week by week is talking about fights that have just happened and fights that are coming up when you all of a sudden find yourself in a position which you did this time last year where there are no fights I mean, what do you do? I mean, how did that conversation go with yourself and uh, and John Denon and, and and your other colleagues at, at Boxing News when when we found ourselves where we were twelve months ago? Yeah, it was a real, real. It was just a whirlwind, as it was for everybody, to be perfectly honest. Um, so we went from from literally one day going into the office as normal. And then all being called into a meeting as a consequence of the pandemic, uh, we were told all to go home and you'd be working home for the foreseeable future. And that's the way it's been since then, since last March. Um, and Boxing News, people that read it uh, will be aware that we try to cover as much of the action, not just in Britain, but worldwide as possible with the reports and previews and what have you. So we probably went from one week where you were having, I mean, sometimes you could have as many as 15 reports and that's just in the UK alone. And that might be a big bill at Wembley. And then it might be this rather obscure card in Doncaster. Um, So then all of a sudden we had 48 pages where there's absolutely no boxing going on. And worse still, we had no idea when there would be boxing going on. So it's not as even if we could kind of build up towards some fights that were happening. You're putting in calls to people and everybody's more or less telling you the same thing. They have no idea. They do not know when boxing will return. So I was on the phone to Robert Smith uh, initially, probably two, three times a week. Uh, I was trying to speak to Eddie Hearn or speak to Eddie. He was saying the same. Frank Warren was saying the same. Um, So quite quickly, I had to put together a plan to kind of just keep the magazine going. And we were lucky, or we are lucky. Everybody in boxing is lucky in the fact that boxing has such a rich history. Um, and that's all we could really do. So as as much as we were reporting on the, the consequences of the pandemic and how we felt the sport could and should come out of that pandemic, we also had this opportunity to celebrate boxing history in a way that we hadn't before, certainly not on a weekly basis. So that was really the way forward. So then we started rating the greatest 50 British fights of all time. Uh, and we serialised that and we were doing in their own words type features and all these new features this week in history. Um, and to be honest, as much as as much as I adore boxing news and what it does on a normal week, you will find that some of these reports, particularly from some of the small hall shows, you're very often reading and subbing these reports, and it is this 4036 fight after 4036 after 4036. And sometimes as you're subbing these reports, you think, God, I'm bored out of my skull reading these. I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, I feel almost 
bad getting readers to, to, to try and read this, to want to read this. So in a way, it was a lovely change of pace. It wasn't easy, but I thought what we produced during lockdown, if I'm going to be honest, was probably superior than what we were doing beforehand. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's interesting, Format. isn't it, Andy, listening to that, thinking, because I just took me back to uh, the fight camp in the pandemic when Eddie, obviously, was very sort of creative, innovative, and listening to Matt talk there, going back through history, doing like, let's do the top 10 best round or the 10 greatest fights. You've got to, you've got to think of new ideas, but I suppose it's um, it does take you back down memory lane a little bit as well, and, you know, it's boxing history. You're right, we are lucky in boxing because of the life stories, because of the characters involved. If you do an in-depth sort of analysis, even looking back, it, it, you do pick, I'd imagine you get some great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's what, it's, it's what I've, it's what I was kind of brought up on really, um, is, is the boxing history. So I've got a book down here somewhere, the pictorial history of boxing, which was the first, the first boxing book I ever owned. Um, and you do, you just, but you kind of dip back into history. And there's so many of these stories that some of them haven't even been told. Um, some of them have long been forgotten. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was just doing this week in history, um, where I would just go back and look at all sorts of fights that that, that you'd never really start to talk about, like old Burt Cooper fights and, and things like that. And you go even back further than that. You go back to like Jack Johnson and, and relive them. And I, I actually had the luxury of being able to sit there rather than trying to scurry about and get work out what's going on in the boxing world, is just sit and watch some old fights on YouTube without worrying about my phone going off, saying this is going on here, this is going on here. And it was, it was you know, to be honest, as much as a pain in the arse it's been, this whole lockdown thing, I think in years to come, I will look back on it quite fondly, to be honest with you. And there's, I think there's definitely been a lot of positives. There's certainly things even myself that, I'll, I'll, that I never did before, that, but I'll definitely keep doing through this. But... We even did, uh, we talked about boxing history and stuff. Like we, we've done a, like a deep dive series, which was kind of organically. Yeah, yeah really good. And, yeah, I mean, it came about because of Brian Dugan, really. doing the. Um, he gave me a call. He said he was, he'd done this book, The Super Fight. And it just went from there, didn't it, Andy? I'll let, I'll let you explain, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like Matt said, you have to think of different things to do. And that was one. Um, we make or break was another, uh, which wasn't a groundbreaking idea. Plenty of people were were doing things like that, make or break fights. But but the kind of little spin we wanted to put on it was was picking ones that people wouldn't necessarily think of as being a fighter's biggest fight, but maybe their most pivotal. The kind of fight that if they lost it, their career could have been different. And then the deep dive came, kind of came to us accidentally from from doing the the look at at um, Hagler against Leonard with Brian. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you Matt when you when you say that you'll look back on it with a lot of fondness in a way um, after the initial kind of challenge of it had had soaked in and you realized that there wasn't going to be any boxing for a for, for a good while we'll get back to the job in in just a bit because it is it is a really interesting job steering that boxing news ship but let, let's have a little bit of a Iphon times of Matt Christie because people are really interested in this stuff as to how people who've got to the kind of position you're in as to how you made your way in the industry and how you got into it in the first place. So just tell us, because I, I, I Googled you yesterday, and quite a lot of stuff came up actually with regard to your specific um, journalistic background, which I didn't really, which I didn't really know. Um, and it is quite unusual, your, your routine, your, your journey through higher education as well, if you want. So just, 
let's um let's have it. <laughs> yeah, again, another another big build up. Uh, not sure the story will do it justice, really. But anyway, <laughs> let's go for it, shall we? Um, yeah. So basically, uh, going back to as long as I can remember, I've always just been fascinated by boxing. Truly, truly fascinated by it. So my mom and my dad, when he was around, would have told you that the one way to keep me quiet was to just to, if there was boxing on, I would stop running around the house like a madman. I'd just sit down. I'd just be transfixed by it. The first fight I remember, I remember watching would have been uh, Dwight Muhammad Kawi beating up Leon Spinks, which I think was in 1986, and it was for a cruiserweight title, uh, WBA cruiserweight title. I think it was. The, I think it was the fight before Kawi lost to Evander Holyfield. Now I was just completely transfixed with this one guy. Kawi was just kind of sticking his tongue out as he's beating up Leon Spinks on the ropes. I mean, you look at it back now, it's not a particularly nice or pleasant experience to watch that fight because it was so one-sided. Um, but there was something about that. Then I, my granddad boxed, he boxed for the army. Um, so, but my dad did, wasn't particularly interested in boxing, but then he was fascinated by Muhammad Ali. I then became fascinated by Muhammad Ali, came across this Muhammad Ali figure when I was on a holiday in Morecambe of all places. Um, and then it just went from there. Then I bought that book. The first box, the first gift voucher I ever had was a pictorial. I bought, I, sp- I spent it on the pictorial history of boxing. Um, and also at that time, the other thing that I liked to do was write. Um, so at a very early age, I was just keeping a diary and all sorts of things. I stumbled across them the other day, actually. Some of my, some of my diaries that I was keeping when I was in my last year at primary school and then into high school. Um, yeah, and all, all that was really worrying me when I was in high school was the fact that this particular girl didn't reciprocate my feelings for her, and that was my number one worry in the world back then. Um, We've all had that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, even, even you, even you. <laughs> so, yeah, so this kind of, so anyway, so I went to school, went to college, um, and then I kind of just fell into this retail career while I was still doing some writing on the side, um and I remember I'd worked my way up to be kind of I was like the manager of these shops at university, uh, which I knew deep down was nothing that I wanted to do. At this point, I'm in my mid-20s. Um and I remember I was lugging some of the staff hadn't turned up, so I was lugging in this trolley, rain hammering down. I'm lugging in this trolley over this field all full of Mars bars and confectionery. Um, and the tr- trolley just trolley just topples over into the mud. All these Mars bars spill out, cans of coke all over the place. And I just thought to myself, Matt, what are you doing? What Seriously, what are you doing with your life here? I remember booting a box of Mars bars. And the next day, I just seriously looked into uh, going and doing a degree in media, um, with always with a view to, 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 to somehow making that work in boxing. Um, and so, yeah, so I started then at Birmingham University, uh, in that September, um, and I was for everything that I was doing, I was gearing towards boxing. So my video projects would always be about boxing. All my writing work would always be about boxing, um, and that was that. And then I came out, and I was looking for work. And there were a few things I could have done, but I was determined to get to get a foothold in in the sport. And I ended up working for KOTV um, after seriously bothering them for a period of months. Uh, with email saying, just give us a try, give us a try. Um, and yeah, I worked my way up there for um, about five years, worked my way up to producer, did various things for KOTV. But at the back of my mind was always, I want to be writing. I've got the most interest. I enjoyed, what I enjoyed the most about KOTV was 
Uh, apart from obviously watching the fights and having these pile of tapes from fight, that's what you get there. You'd have these tapes from all over the world that would turn up at the start of the week. And then I'd just go through them all and then put together this hour show or this half an hour show. And I'd be requesting all these really obscure fights. Was that um, Channel 5, Matt? That used to be Channel Ch- 5. Cha- Channel 4 it was at the time. Yeah. Channel 4. Channel, Channel 4. 4. Used, to be, used to be on at Daft O'Clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, and then we—I was still lifetime subscriber to Boxing News. And then, while I was at KOTV, I just saw this advert come. It was in, I think, page page four or five of Boxing News, and the headline of it was "Dream Job?" Question mark. And they're at, they were advertising for a reporter and an editorial assistant. I ended up getting the job as reporter. John Denon ended up getting the job as uh, editorial assistant. So that's like going back to two thousand and nine, and we both started in two thousand and ten. Um, so now it's been about what, 16, 17 years now I've been working in boxing. Um, and, you know, I work the, the, my, in terms of one of the questions you always get asked is, did you ever box? The answer, I mean, if I was to say yes to that, I'd be a liar. Um, but I did train. I trained, there was a, a club in Kinver, and then there was a club in, well, it wasn't even a club, actually. It was this gym in Winston Green, right opposite the prison, and you used to go into it through this CD borderline illegal bar. Really don't know what they were doing in there. And then you'd go upstairs to what was like an old school gym. Uh, and that used to be run by Al Malcolm, who fought uh, Lennox Lewis in his professional debut. Um, so I did a bit there. And then when I moved to Southampton, I, I went to the club in Southampton where Tony Hill was actually the star kid at, 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 at that, that particular point. By then, I'm in, my, I'm in my 20s. There was never any intention to to compete or anything like that, did the odd bit of sparring. And that genuinely is as far as it went. But I kind of did it on and off for quite a few years. And I haven't done it now since I was in, since then, since since I left Southampton, to be honest with you, which was over 10 years ago. Hey, hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast. Coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Yeah, I did. I, I did a similar thing actually. I I did some training in my mid twenties, and uh, the reason I did it was because I wanted to to get a handle on the technique of it, and I thought it would help because I knew I wanted to to work in boxing. But but I would certainly never claim that I that I did any kind of uh, any kind of boxing. Macklin, you, if I managed to tape some of those sessions, God, you'd have had a great time watching them. Honestly, <laughs> you really would. You really would. The, the best compliment I ever got from the trainer I was working with was when you turn up regularly. You're not that bad, um, which I just thought I'll take that. That's, a, that's like it's not definitely not going to get any better than that. Um, <laughs> I just love that image, though, Matt, of you kind of standing there um, like Michael Douglas in falling down, hoofing Snickers <laughs> and Mars bars all over the place. But what, what yeah, kind it was of very, it's very much like that, actually. Yeah. yeah. What, what, so why didn't you? What What was the reason behind you not going? to university kind of straight out of school was it just not something that you I mean that kind of that seems a bit of a puzzle to me 
Yeah, I mean, it's nothing. I suppose I just kind of was growing up. Um, I got this job in a sports shop um, and it was in the Merry Hill Centre, um, and um, which is a massive kind of sprawling shopping centre um, just outside of Dudley. Um, and I had a job there with, 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 was with sports division um, and I was doing that part time while I was doing my A-levels. Now, you know, I'm kind of painting the wrong picture of myself here, but well, no, I'm not actually. I'm painting exactly the picture of what I was like as a teenager. Um, so, yeah, so when you when I was working there, um, you I was working with 50 or 60 people of a similar age, um, many of them in the opposite sex. And it was just it was just so much fun. And I thought, you know what, I'm earning a bit of money. I finished my A-levels. I've been doing education for goodness knows how long. And my plan was genuinely just to do a year, earn a bit of money and then go start university with some money behind me. Um, and very quickly, I got offered this job as footwear manager. Um, and then you get, well, yeah, you can, you can you'd be earning £12,000 a year if you want to be a footwear manager. I was thinking, flipping it, £12,000 a year. <laughs> what can I do with that? And uh, yeah, so then kind of life just kind of took over, really. Before I knew it, I'd worked my way up and I was working my way up in a retail career. Um, but all the time at the back of my mind, niggling away at me was, you're not, you can do better than this. You can do better than this. And it took really until I was in my mid-20s before, before I just thought, this is just stupid. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I, I did. And, and But... I think the, the one advantage with going to university, I remember my first day at university and thinking I was like a dinosaur compared to everybody else. Really, I was like about five years older than everyone else in truth. But I felt I felt like I was, but I went in there with like real determination. So I was approaching every single project, every single assignment, and I just gave it everything I'd got from the start. So I came out of it with a first class degree um we did really really well in, in the groups that we were in a lot of stuff was nominated for awards and, and, and stuff like that as in the student in the student awards and things like that I just gave it everything I got and I've had that attitude pretty much ever since then ever since then so as much as I can look back and go I wonder where I'd be if I'd have if I'd have if I'd have started doing what I should have been doing at 18 instead of 25 the fact is if I started doing it at 18 I wouldn't have had nearly the determination and the fire at my backside that I had when I was 25. So I just think it just kind of happened for a reason. You might have got burnt out if you'd have gone straight into higher education. We're having that time out. You probably got out of your system what you needed to get out of your system. And then, when, like you say, when you did go back then, you were, you know, you knew what you wanted to do, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was it like from the, from the start of... <clears throat> of Boxing News then because the media's changed a lot over the last 10 years or so. I started nearly, oh God, not far off to the day, 21 years ago and I'd kind of first turned up at TalkSport as a, as a runner and the broadcast side of it's changed a lot. Is it kind of recognisable, the job now, to how it was when you began? Massively. It's, it's, it's ever, ever changing. I just think we're, I think we're barely getting started in the extent that the media world is changing. I mean, just look at the way, the way that us three are communicating now. I mean, even you only go back 12 months ago and this would have been a bit of an odd sell. Um, and, you know, and I, I know it's a consequence of the, um, I know it's a consequence of the pandemic and everything else. And that's why we're doing it this way and why we're not all sat, sat around having a coffee somewhere, but everything. And it's so adaptable. So, yeah, yeah, I look back at what Boxing News was um, in that Boxing News, the magazine, um, was basically all that we had then. Now, there was a website that really 
the, you know, the website at that point was, was, was producing maybe one article a day or something, something along those lines. It wasn't, you know, it was kind of an afterthought. Um, and I remember Daniel Herbert saying something along the lines of, you know, anything that isn't good enough to go in the magazine, we'll just, we'll just stick it on a website. It doesn't matter. Just stick it on a website. And that, that, that was, that was the attitude then. Um, the social media channels that, that, that we've got now um, were kind of just in their infancy. We were, quite, you know, it was Nick Bond who should take the credit for building the social media channels to what they are now. And while I'm on that, you know, I was just looking earlier at our numbers on social media. Now, our social media, just in terms of followers, if you add up our Instagram, our Twitter and our Facebook, we're approaching, we're, we're, we're approaching, we've got 2.5 million on Facebook, we've got a million on Instagram and we've got 200,000 on Twitter. That's bigger than pretty much anybody, to be, to be honest. If you add that up, you'd re- so you add, that's more than Eddie Hearn's got. If you add up all of Eddie Hearn's followers, more than IFL have got. If you add up all of IFL, uh, Boxing News still carries a great clout. But anyway, going back to what I was saying, that was just in its infancy. But we quickly recognised the importance of that and we kept building that up. But the difference in Boxing News is that people now still, when you say Boxing News, people still presume that you're just talking about a weekly magazine. Now, back then, even in 2010, that for many, that, that for many was still where people would go to to get their news. Um, we've had to kind of adapt over the last few years, as you've had, as I mentioned, IFL have done a wonderful job with everything that they do. They've revolutionized everything in their own way. Um, but we have now had to change boxing news. It's been a conscious decision, particularly since I was made editor. So I've been editor now for six years. So I realized that it's no good having pages and pages of news that has already been out there for, for days and days and days. It's no good having a four-page feature with somebody that has already spoken to five or six YouTube channels by the time it's in the magazine, because it's just, why would you pay for that when you can get it for nothing? On the, so we have to do things slightly different. So you might see some obscure people in there. You might see a different approach to, to, to how, we, how we present that news. But more and more, we have to show that we have um, a real strong opinion on these things and also almost provide a commentary on what is going on the things that are right in boxing, the things that are wrong in boxing, in a very, very similar way. And I know they're two completely different titles, but in a very, very similar way, as to you will see. And yet, you know, some of, as much as I look at, as much as I look at boxing media as an inspiration, I also look at the media as a whole as an inspiration. If you look at how certain print brands have, that, that that are still growing now and have still got that that, you look at people like the Economist, you look at people like the Week, you look at New Scientist. And you look at what they're doing. So the economists, for example, are probably not going to have a massive exclusive every week with, 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 with political figures. But what, what they will do, well, they will have a very educated commentary on it in a way to, that they can guide their readers one way or another. Or they can offer a certain point of view. It's up to the reader whether to take that board or not. Or it might, it might encourage some further, them to, to, to explore it a little bit further. That's what we try to do now with Boxing News. And I honestly think, I genuinely, and I know might sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet. I think now when I look at boxing news now, when you look at the writers that are in there that we've got in there every single week or, or that are used regularly, like Steve Bunces, Donald McRae, Nigel Collins, Springs Toledo, you know, the staff writers, John Denham, brilliant, Elliot Wurzel, all these guys. And I look back and I do look back at old boxing news is quite regularly. The standard of writing that we have got now, in my opinion, is a lot stronger than it used to be. And I think that's really, really important. 
Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. You know, it's a funny one. Uh, it kind of just brought me on to it. And I was thinking when you were saying about, you know, certain writers and, and, and certain ways you, you do things. Because it is different when you've got to go to print and everything, especially in the era where I think Mike Costello was talking about it. Or it might be Steve Bunce or both. Like, rather than being right, just be first. You know, with the breaking of a news or something. Where yeah, suppose yeah, yeah. The boxing news, you've got to pride yourself in sort of being balanced, being reliable, being accurate. You know what I mean? There's a certain... Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of the word, a certain level of uh, accountability or responsibility even. It, 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 no, you, you, you're absolutely right, Matt. And we went, we were guilty of that a few years ago. So when we started to get, when we were getting, um, when we had all that success on our social media channels, when 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 that was growing and and then our website was attracting millions and millions of, 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 of uh, views uh, every week and we were getting some really, really good figures. But a lot of that was... Um, the fact that we were just reacting to something. And I, I remember like, come on, we need to get, just get it out now, get it out now. And we would just then have this headline on Facebook, people would be pouring onto the website. And then you'd look at the article and to be fair, it was rubbish. And it was just clickbait stuff. And all of a sudden I thought, hang on a minute, this ain't right. We, 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 we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. And I was looking at, I mean, this is probably quite boring for your listeners, but you kind of, you kind of drill into the analytics and you can really look at, how much time people are spending on the website. Um, and I was, you know, you'd, you'd have this big headline, it might have had a million people looking at it. And then you look at it and it's like the average time they've spent on that particular article is 2.3 seconds. Yeah. And you're just like, hang on a minute. All they've done is they've just come to a quick log. No, I'm not interested in that. Or they've got what they need from it. So then that then changed the whole mindset of what we were going to do. And, and then that really started it, me, me now then thinking, We've got a massive audience here. We need to convert as many of those to as, as to su- subscribers as possible. Hence, why the paywall came in um, in 2019, um, and you know we've, that has been so encouraging. And that, in all, in all honesty, I mean, I don't want to jump the gun, but I think that really might well future-proof the brand in that we've now got all these subscribers digitally from from all over the world. Um, that will just access the website. It's not a case of just having to read the magazine. Now you can read the magazine online. You can also read the extra web content. It's not a lot of cash that we're asking, to be honest. I don't want, to, I don't want this to turn into a boxing news advert, but um, I'm very confident that, that what we produce, um, yeah, the, 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 what we produce on the website and in the magazine is the best boxing news out there. And it's been voted that way many times. We mentioned the SJAs. I mean, that's an individual award, but boxing news has won six awards in the last five years. Now, bear in mind, these SJA awards have historically just been the the um, where you would get your Daily Mail, your Guardian, your Telegraph, your Times. It would be un- unheard of for something like Boxing News to be winning these awards. The Boxing Writers Association of America, uh, in last year's awards, we were voted ahead of ESPN, ahead of Boxing Scene, ahead of uh, Boxing Monthly, who were around at the time, ahead of the ring. We were number one as the best boxing news outlet for the quality of work that we produce. Don't often get the chance, and I don't often like to shout about all this, but I think, you know, I think you have to, really. These are massive successes that we've had. But without wanting to jump the gun too much, we then have to look forward. 
you know what do we do now so we've reintroduced the podcast we're doing the podcast again as you guys know you two are doing a terrific job with it but you'll know how saturated this podcast market is it there's, there's i mean anybody anybody and everybody is doing a boxing podcast um so you know you've now moved on to youtube i mean that's the next step for us i mean that was the plan actually kind of sadly or not was that we got the green light to do all this produce this youtube channel as pandemic kicked in so we've i had all these wonderful ideas to be doing a youtube channel and also you got pandemic i wasn't keen i mean looking back now if i'd have known it would have, was going to go on for this long i'd have started to producing a lot more video content in this kind of format if i'd have known but i just thought well hang on i'll just give it a few more months and we'll, we'll we'll get back and we'll do it properly and that's still the plan so that's what we'll be doing moving forward but the base the foundation which is boxing news um will remain i hope i hope i hope for many many years matt i'd say that you know we we're talking there about the clickbait and the need to be first not necessarily right accurate or reliable that pressure social media everything moving so fast you know every man and his dog doing a podcast you know will will spon- you know the sponsors will come in whatever it's like i mean me and andy had the chat way back and said look we just want to do our thing. Even if, if the time comes where, it, you know, the sponsorship or social or whatever, fair enough, but not at the cost of taking away from we, where, where, where we want to go with it. This is our yeah. thing. We want to do it. We want to do it. In terms of you moving with the times, being innovative, but also staying true to yourself and, and, and sticking to doing things how you want to do it and not just trying to, you know, conform to, to how you see things moving quickly. That, to, to then kind of get those recognitions of those awards and the boxing rise, like, that, you must feel proud, very happy with that. It kind of, cause it just kind of it reinforces to you that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, you know, when, when I remember when we, because we've been nominated a few times at the SJA Awards, and then when we won the best special sports edition for the first time, it was for the Muhammad Ali obituary issue. And that was an issue that I kind of been working on personally, uh, pretty much since I started Boxing News. Tris Dixon, my predecessor, one of the first jobs that he gave him, what a job, what a job it was, it was to just start working on this Muhammad Ali obituary issue because we knew sooner or later he was going to pass away. So I, you know, yeah, Matt, what you've got to do is start tracking down some of his old opponents and, and speak to as many of his old opponents as you possibly can. Um and, and so that's what I was doing. So that really was a labour of love for me. Um, so when so when I was at the SGA ceremony and he says the winner of the best sports edition is Boxing News, I was just overwhelmed. I'll never forget that feeling. It was a similar one when I got the personal award a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I genuinely, and you know, you speak to people and they go, oh, I'm not going to win. And really, the back of their mind, they're thinking, I've got this. I've <laughs> but, but but I didn't feel like I, I didn't I genuinely didn't feel like that and I remember it was a similar situation to this it was like a virtual ceremony and they go through all the nominations and they started to read out why the winner had won it so they read out who'd finished third who'd finished second and they start to read out why the winner had won it and I'm listening to it with my headphones my wife's watching Coronation Street or something over in the other room that's, you know that's how interesting she was about it yeah. uh, but then all of a sudden I turned to it I was just like I think, I, think I've, <laughs> I think I've won it. I think I've won it. And I was just, just tears, tears just from nowhere. I mean, thankfully, I didn't have to make a speech or anything. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you do. It, it does feel like, because 
just putting boxing news together it's really really hard to explain and it, and, and people i don't think people really really grasp it is that it consumes you now you won't you wouldn't get, you wouldn't understand it and i don't mean that i don't mean that in a way that where i, I don't mean it in a way to sound like condescending to someone like like John or Paul Wheeler or Elliot or anything, but you don't. And I remember Tris saying something similar to me, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But when you become editor, it consumes you to the extent that you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking about it. You know, I might not be worried about it, but you're thinking, what have we missed? What's going on? I better just constantly, constantly, constantly to the point of even when you're on holiday, you're checking your phone, you're sending messages to the lads. Where are we at with this week's magazine? How are you getting on? Do you need me to jump in and do anything? And it's constant. It, it, it's really, really weird how. So, yeah, when you get an award like that, silly as it might appear, you know, you look at it there, just a bit of metal, isn't it? It's just a bit of metal, really, at the end of the day, but it is something. No, nah, it's more than know. that, isn't it, Matt? It's acknowledgement, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, yeah, and it was Jim, Jim Rosenthal. Jim Rosenthal's the host, and to have Jim Rosenthal, kind of, and it's just, you remember Jim Rosenthal from when you're kids, and you, you'd get up in the middle of the night to watch the Tyson fight, and Jim Rosenthal's there presenting it, and you're like, wow, this is... This is something else. So yeah, it is. It's a massive. It's a massive, massive honour. But it's, you know, it's, with boxing news, it's just so difficult. And I mentioned YouTube, but we, you know, back in 2012, 2013, we started to do the YouTube. YouTube. We we were kind of queuing up and doing the YouTube videos, and we were doing it similar time. I mean, IFL did it, and then we were doing it. Um, but the problem is, and I've said this to a lot of people, is that as wonderful as as having a weekly magazine is, it's it's almost like it's almost like it's having this weight around your neck as well, because that's that when you first start out, or that is what is essentially is the main revenue driver is this weekly magazine. So ultimately the magazine has to take priority over any new ventures. You, you have to get this magazine out. So kind of things that we've tried in the past, um, we just haven't had the time or resources to give, to do them justice. Now, since I've been editor, I haven't wanted to do anything until I'm certain that we can do it in the right way. And I feel like we're in that position now, or if we're not, we're pretty close. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Well, that's... As you say, the, the awards, they, they definitely, they mean a lot because it's it's validation, really, particularly given the outfits you've received them from, the BWAA and, and the SJA. It's validation that the decisions you made as regards who you are and what the magazine is and what Boxing News is, DNA is, that they're difficult decisions to make, particularly at the moment, the last 10 years, as you say, because the media has changed a lot. It's it's more difficult than ever to really stick to what you believe in. Um, and obviously it's worked. All those, all those kinds of plaudits wouldn't, wouldn't be coming your way. It's interesting you touched there on the, the relentlessness of being Boxing News editor because 
Tris has spoken about that on occasion. Um, and we plan to get Tris on in the next few weeks, actually. He's, he's got his book coming out and, and he's been on the list for ages anyway. But he did one of his podcasts on, on Boxing Live Stories, which is which is terrific, with, with Claude, Claude Abrams, who was yeah, his immediate... Yeah, really one. Yeah, really interesting. He was his immediate predecessor. And they had a long conversation about how Boxing News, in the end, kind of burnt them out. Um do you, do, you, do you kind of worry about that at all? Or are you, are you very conscious of the fact that you've got to try and keep a balance? You've got to try and keep a healthy balance between work and, and life. But that that those lines can really get blurred, can't they, when your job is something you really, really love? Yeah, 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 yeah they, they can. And I think I think the thing with I think the thing with Tris, um, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, is that he was he had this ridiculous commute on top of everything else in Salisbury. Um, and he was doing that every day. So it was something like four hours every day he was spending traveling. And on top of that, and, and at that particular time, there was pressure to always be in the office when, when Tris was the editor. I, you know, look, I mean, I'm sat, sat at the end of a garden now, essentially. Uh, but even before kind of lockdown, we had the freedom to, to work from home. You know, if you wanted to work from home three days, one week, we could. And that makes a massive difference because although the, although the amount of effort you put into your work doesn't change, uh, the fact that you can just shut your computer and then you go into your lounge and you're at home as opposed to having to travel on a train and everything else makes all the difference in the world. But in answer to your question, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm often kind of concerned about it. I think the biggest I think the biggest thing for me and my relationship with Boxing News is I kind of touched on it earlier, is that when I have a holiday, when I'm off work, I, I miss it. I miss I miss the buzz of boxing as much as I can. As much as it can drive me around the bend, if I have weeks on where I'm doing seven days a week, which is quite, which is you know, it's fairly frequent because we're doing all these other bookazines and all these other things that we're trying to get off the ground. Um, and you think, what am I doing with my life? Just doing this? What am I doing? And then I have a few days off, and all of, you know, within within after a day, I'm just trying to get back into it. And all the time, I'm thinking, what am I missing? What am I missing? What's going on in boxing? What fights been made? What's going on? What's he got to say about that? And I just I find really, really twitchy. So ultimately, I think what I'm probably trying to say is very, very lucky as well to be able to say it is that I've probably got the perfect job for me uh, in that. I mean, we, you know, even, even if, you know, we'd, we'd all we'd all get sick and tired of being on a desert island and just going to the bar every day, wouldn't we? As lovely as it sounds right now, if you keep doing it every day and you've got nothing else to do, you're going to need a break from that. So, yeah, now and again, I do feel like, Oh, I don't know how much longer I can do this for. But then a few days off and I'm just ready to go again. You know, that, that's kind of the way that I feel about it. Um, just so lucky. And it's just, you know, one of the most, you, you will hear about the boxing bug. We were all bitten by the boxing bug many, many years ago. But this, it's so, so true. I, in fact, you mentioned Claude there. Claude is one of the few who I know who has kind of worked within boxing and then completely taken themselves away from it, more or less... Be, disappearing forever now you know i hear from claude now and again i know tris is still really good friends with claude but he has nothing really at all to do with boxing um, i think pretty much anybody else that has worked in boxing is in it for life and i think you know it's almost like it's a life sentence isn't it i know it, it, it is a life sentence <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's funny because, like you say, you're you you're in boxing on the media angle. I'm in the media angle now, but obviously, box before that, and and that's we, we, when we started even doing the podcast. I remember saying to Andy, "Look, everyone in boxing has got a story. You know, everyone everyone started differently, coming from different angles, or driven by different things, whatever." 
everyone's got a story. So I don't think we'll ever run out of podcasts because there's always different angles and yeah. different viewpoints. But it's boxing. It's one of those things where, and especially now, I think, because it's with the internet and social media, it's so global that it literally is 24-7. I mean, you talked there about the stresses where you could be at night thinking, I've got that sorted for tomorrow because you're the editor. I suppose the book stops with you. And there's responsibilities on your shoulders. But then I suppose, like, you know, and, and listen, me and Andy, we work hard. It can be stressed sometimes. But then you got to pinch yourself and think, I'm doing a lot. I'm doing a job I love, that I am passionate about. And therefore, there aren't enough hours in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly that. It's exactly, it's exactly that. Yeah, we're, we're exactly the same. Everything everything you just said there, we would, we would echo. It's like I, I'm... Yeah, I sometimes I think, oh, I've got quite a clear week next week. I'll 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 chill for like two or three days. And I mean, I struggle to get to kind of Monday afternoon really before I start thinking, oh, I might go back and read this or I might watch that. And it's it's because it's what you want to do. It's 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 yeah. it's uh, it's just it's you know, the old saying, you know, find something you love and find a way to get paid for it and you'll never work a day in your life. And it's it's absolutely True, but it's not all upside. You know, there are there are difficult things to contend with. And in your role as editor of Boxing News, one thing that Boxing News has managed to stay completely true to is the fact that it is independent. Uh, it has no allegiances uh, that anyone could even accuse it of having, even with the most tangential or fictional kind of evidence. You are seen, certainly, I, I think this is true, and I think most boxing fans would would agree with this as the maybe the kind of sole independent arbiter of what is going on in British boxing. Now that means I know this because um, that means that you will get phone calls complaining about things that you've written from literally everybody. So how, I mean, it, it, don't worry though, Matt. Me, 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 and Andy get complained every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we know what we know what that's like. But that's you know that's that, that's that. What, what's it like having to to deal with that? I mean, how often do you do you get calls basically saying that someone's unhappy with something you wrote, and that somebody else is unhappy with something you wrote? Quite often, it will probably be both sides of an argument are unhappy with what you wrote. Yeah, you can't. I mean. That's... I can't remember who said it now when I, when I first started is that you can't you you need to you need to write about what you feel what you feel is what you feel is the right thing to write about in the right way without worrying about upsetting anybody the moment you worry about upsetting anybody is when you're not doing your job correctly and that's kind of what the way that I've been throughout I think more so when I've been editor and yeah I mean I must admit though it was a bit of a shock to the system when I was getting phone calls when I started um, as editor. And some of them are not pleasant. Some of them are not pleasant at all. And anybody that knows me, I'd like to think they know that I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I, pers- I, tell you, I'm, I can't be bothered to be, to kind of be nasty to anyone, to be, to be nasty for nasty's sake, or, or have an agenda, I haven't. Um, and I often think it might have been a bit easier for everyone if we'd have just kind of cozied up with one promoter or another or, or whatever or, or a management group or whatever but we never have we never ever have and that's been exceptionally important to me and it kind of goes back to what I was saying at the very start to me that's our biggest selling point because I don't think you can say that about many many media outlets just magazines or, or anyone or anyone I think 
you know, and I don't want to speak badly of anybody, but I think the newspapers are kind of under pressure to toe the, to toe the party line. So that, you know, that there's this, this pressure that if you don't report things as a promoter or a fighter wants you to, to, to report them, then you might not be allowed into, into, into the next fight or something along those lines. You know, that's always, that's always a concern, but sorry, in answer to your question, yeah, it happens some, some months it might, it might be, might be once a week, might be a few times a week. I mean, thankfully in, in lockdown, it's been quite rare, but there's still been the odd, there's still been the odd complaint from, from, from the odd influential figure in boxing. And yeah, certainly when I'll see my phone go and I see certain, certain names that I know they're not going to be phoning up to see how I'm doing. Uh, my first thought is, gosh, well, what was in the last issue? And I'm immediately trying to think what was in the last issue? What was in there before I press and say, hello, you're all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me read that again. Before I, me <laughs> I mean, so, you, but, can, you, you can give us your top 10 if you want. Of who, who's, your, who's your least welcome number to flash up on your phone? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, I don't I'll, think that's going to happen. I'll wait, I'll, wait, I'll wait, till I've, uh, wait till I've left boxing news. So... I mean, has it ever been the case though that that it's that it's come close to something quite serious, like a, a promoter saying to you, right, well, you know, you've 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 crossed the line too many times with me now, you're no longer going to be welcome at, at my at my fights. Or do you think the reputation and the weight that boxing news carries is such that they realize that they can't do that? That if they did that, people wouldn't look at it and just think, oh, boxing news, you know, they've they've obviously They've obviously dropped a bollock there. People would look at the promoter and think, "What are you doing?" Um, I think so. I think I think really that if the, if we're kind of not allowed to cover events, um, then that that really is a, is a story in itself, isn't it? Um, and I think that perhaps is is the concern. Um, but we'd never set out we'd never set out to for, for that conclusion. And I mean, I've I've. More so when I first started, I would probably go out of my way. If I felt like that I'd upset somebody, I might go out of my way, or sorry, inadvertently upset somebody. I would go out of my way then to, to make peace. And not, 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 not in a manner of, of putting something in, in the magazine, but just to, just a phone call, look, are we okay now? Are we okay? Are we all right? As you get older, I think, and you're in the job a little bit longer, and just as human beings, you know, certain things, you just think, oh, well, it's your problem, it's not mine. You get thicker skin, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not you're not as bothered by it, and that's kind of where I'm at now with it. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's funny now, but you can. I can rather than looking at my phone now and going, "Oh my god," I can be a bit like, "Oh gosh, here we go." You know, it's a different different kind of mindset that you have with it. Um, but it's it, it's really it's it is. I mean, it's 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 impossible. It's impossible because the way I try to I try to explain it in a, in a recent editorial where it simply comes down to. Um, because we were accused of covering, I mean, so when I see things like, you still get the odd person on social media saying we're matchroom news um, and things like that. Which oh, we know me, what that's like. Which drive me round the bend, <laughs> to be honest with you. But the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that we will report on, so if, but if matchroom, say, say if in one year, and this is how I tried to explain it in Boxing News, if in one year, let's say promoter A, has 100 shows and promoter B has 40 shows, then promoter A will get substantially more coverage over the course of that year than promoter B by virtue of the fact that they had 60 more shows than them. It really is as simple as that. In terms of what, what, what will go in week to week and the interest in it, 
if a particular fight is is really generating interest and we're all we're all quite hot on the analytics and looking at what's going on on social media we drill down into our figures on our social media channels to see what people are looking at how, you know when and where um then that, that 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 will then you will see that in terms of the magazine so if promoter a is promoting a fight that isn't that interesting but promoter b is promoting is, is, is promoting a fight that's just generated everyone's interest then that fight the promoter b's fight will be the one that will get will get the most column inches it really is as simple as that the way i try and look at it now if i can kind of be as be as succinct on it as possible is it's about it's just about the fighters it's, it's about the fighters and it's about the fight it's, it's, a sec, it's secondary about who's promoting it. it's about the fighters and it's about the, how good that fight is that's a good fight everyone will say it's a good fight it doesn't matter who doesn't doesn't matter if who, who's promoting it the important thing is the fight well as you say matt as well promoter a and promoter b you know you know, promoter A might be promoting not just more fights, but might be promoting bigger fights with world champions and British world champions. So, that, that, without any personal bias from yourself or anyone else, it's just that's just the way it's going to be. They're going to get more coverage in the magazine, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but what I will say on it as well is that I still think that you know we've, we 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 have been accused of not giving certain things as much coverage as we should um but certainly in the print media we're still the only ones that will be previewing previewing a certain european title fight or previewing this particular show that's happening in a small hall on a friday night we're the only ones that will ever report on it nobody else does it so when people come to me and say how how can you how can you only gave it that like, well what did everybody oh, sorry let me just compare that to what to what everybody else how everybody else reported on it oh i'm sorry they didn't report on it at all so what's your problem you know that's you know that's, that's kind of what i feel like sometimes uh, but I do, I do understand, but I also understand, and what I am very, very um, conscientious about is that we, we should be giving, particularly the small hall promoters, and I think through lockdown, we tried to voice how, how difficult it was, not just for the promoters, the small hall promoters, but these fighters, we did a lot of profiles of the fighters that were just, were just not getting any work. They just didn't know when they were next, next lay some gloves on. They had no idea, and it was so difficult for everybody. But we always try, you know, they've got the, the page at the back, the 60 second interview. But we've also, you know, on the website and on social media as well, there are certain events that we will try and give as much coverage to as possible and certain causes that we will try and give as much coverage to as possible. Um, but going back to the start, you try and keep everybody happy. You're not going to keep anyone happy, particularly not yourself. So, you know, you do what you can. You do what you can with, and you do what you can as honestly as you can, with as much integrity as you can. And you know you're halfway there. Do you do you find do you find that that fighters generally are kind of easier to deal with than their teams? Because for me, I don't really mind what a fighter says about anything that I might say, even if I think it's completely unreasonable. Because how can they not take what you say about their performance personally? How can they not? You know, it's not meant personally, but I completely understand why they do. And 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 I'd forgive pretty much anything, to be honest. And not that, you know, they've got bigger things to worry about than what I say. But sometimes I do find it a bit frustrating when when teams kind of jump on the bandwagon and say bias this or or or, or agenda that. And you just think, hang on a second. 
who's more likely to have an agenda here, me or you, who who is like an integral part of their setup? You know, do you find that fighters are kind of the easiest people out of the whole mix to deal with? Yeah, 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 without question. I mean, there's been there's been there's been the odd report that I've written where a fighter has kind of messaged or phoned and just said, "Yeah, you bang out of order. You've never boxed. Who do you think you are?" Saying things like that. And again, I've never gone out of my way to be disrespectful. Well, by and large, you can say you can you can just sit down and have a conversation with the fighters and just just tell it like it is. Um, but there's so many <clears throat> kind of going back to you saying how things have changed. So many more hoops you have to jump through just to sit down and have that conversation these days. Um, and but by the but by the time when you eventually jump through the hoops, you, you, it's, it's as as you were. It's as you were. But yeah, there are there's, there's there's people that will take offence at the smallest little things, um, and then you will get people on Twitter kind of jumping on the bandwagon and going, "Well, they've never done this for us, they've never done that for us," or and things like that. And it is, it can be, it can be exceptionally frustrating. The thing that I've always struggled with, to be honest with you, particularly as kind of going back to what I was saying, I mean, I I, I still ha- almost have kind of this this kind of imposter syndrome um, in that who on earth am I? on the pages of boxing news to criticize a boxer who's just who's dedicated their lives to this sport. They've just been through a training camp. Who am I to, to write that that was a poor performance? Ultimately, that's kind of my job. And I'm not doing it, never doing it to be disrespectful, but you do find, or it might just be my own paranoia, to be honest with you, but I find that a sports journalist can say that a rugby team was poor, or they can say that a football team was poor. But you start to say that a boxer was poor and it's almost like you're stepping on very very dangerous ground because of what's on the line in that boxing ring um, and in a similar way recently and I was saying it on this week's podcast uh, with Alex Steedman in that I started to we were talking about the Alexander Povetkin and the Dillian White fight and I started to talk about how poor I thought Alexander Povetkin was and that my opinion on it was that he really looked like he shouldn't have been there but as soon as I started to say that, I said, but this almost sounds like I'm being there. I'm then not giving Dillian White the credit for what he achieved. And not only that, for as soon as he woke up on his back last August, looked around, realised who just put him to sleep and was then determined and focused on getting that person back in the ring. I have got nothing but admiration for that. On the flip side, I feel like I've got to be honest if I think that a fighter in the pay-per-view main event, Alexander Povetkin being the person in question here, was poor. And I'm not saying it was necessarily Povetkin's fault, but he was in no condition to be in a a pay-per-view main event, in my opinion. Dillian White, however, was the complete contrast. He was in the shape of his life. And I've got nothing but admiration for him for that. But you feel like often you walk in a bit of a tightrope. When you start with these commentaries and you're thinking, well, I don't want to offend him. I don't want to, I don't want to, don't want to degrade this effort or anything like that. So it is, it can be, it can be quite difficult. And I just think that I always try to remain as respectful as possible. But I remember on a, 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 a fighter who I won't name, just going back and forth with me on private message, admittedly on Twitter. And it was just about an eight round report. And I went back and read the eight round report that I'd written. And it was something, I think the score was, it, he was he was kind of known as known as a journeyman, a very very good level journeyman. He was fighting an up and comer, and the score, the referee score, was something like 79-73. Um, and I said it could have been 78-74, but no more than that. But it was a great performance from this particular fight, or it was a good performance from this particular fight. And he was 
So how dare you say that? How dare you not mention that I should have won that fight? I just wanted. I just didn't. I just didn't think you should have won it. To be honest with you, and you just. And then you just get this. I had that this tirade of abuse. Um, that is very very rare. To be honest with you, that's that that's really really rare. But um, but I'm 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 as aware as I possibly can be without being in another person's shoes because let's be frank, you can never walk in another person's shoes. Um, of how much work goes into a train, just a, tra a training camp. How much work goes into making weight? Those are two different things, you know. And then you've got the fight on top. I, I, I couldn't begin to know how difficult that is, but I do my best. I do my best to try and be as understanding as possible. But also, Matt, your, your audience are boxing fans, you know. So you, you're reporting the facts as it was, as you've seen it on the night. <clears throat> you know, you, we mentioned it before about people getting offended or hurting their feelings. Like you're aware of things and, and you, you're trying to give a balanced opinion. You're trying to get, you get, it wants to be factual. You, you want the tone to be right because you don't want to be, you know, hypercritical, but you're not a cheerleader either. You're just there to report the facts, aren't you? So, and I suppose as you real, as you have realised, as you will realise, as, as I've realised, you're going to piss people off. And not because we've intended it. It's just the way it's going to be. You can't, you can't, like I've said it before to, you know, just a family member that said, oh, you got a bit of stick there on Twitter. I said, listen, I'll get stick on Twitter every single weekend of the fight. <laughs> and that it, and, and it, would have, it would have been completely the other end. I'd have got it. I'd have got just as much stick off the other side. It's just the way it is. I'm not there to tear anyone apart, but I'm not there to be a cheerleader either. I'm getting paid to be, you know, give my expert analysis based on my own career. That's the, where the expert bit comes from. So, but I said, you know, it, you, you mentioned it kind of there. I, I remember there was a fight we did. I, I think it might have been Miguel Diaz against Lewis Ritson, you know, and I had Miguel Diaz winning that, whatever. But I had people messaging me from Newcastle and I looked who they were following, who followed them. So they were obviously friends of Lewis Ritson. And they are accusing me of being mad biased. But why would I be biased to some Mexican geezer? I don't know. But you're from Newcastle, he's your pal, and you think you're not biased? Do you know what I mean? Like, I find it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how people get that wrong. You know, they, I, I'm biased, but I've got no horse in the race you know, yet. He's your pal, and you think you're not biased? Do you know what I mean? Do you, yeah, yeah, completely, completely. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing more poisonous than, than, than social media at times. I mean, so I look at some of the stick that you guys get, um, and it's just it's just mind-boggling. You know, I'm almost at the point now where I just I just want to turn off social media. I want to turn off all my social media accounts, uh, but then I won't be able to do my job if I did. Um, I mean, it serves its purpose. Don't get me wrong; it serves its purpose. But I'm a massive, I'm a massive believer. I know a few a few other sports have kind of said this now. I'm a massive believer in that anybody that goes out there, particularly now they've got, you've got, you've got this link. I mean, imagine this 10, 15 years ago, you've got this link to all of these people, these, these, these accomplished and famous people in the world, politicians, athletes, actors, you can just go on there and call them a C-U-N-T, can't you? And what, what gives you the right to do that? So I think if you're going to go on there and do something like that, you should at least have the decency to show your face and give your real name. Yeah, I just, I, just I, I, I can't believe that this is not a law. I can't, I cannot believe that people are still at this still goes on. Frankly, it's mind-boggling. Tyson nailed it, didn't he? When he said social media got people feeling too comfortable disrespecting other people. 
yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Social media is absolutely wild. I mean, it's just some of the stuff you see on there is it's just mind boggling. Um, but but just to pick up on one thing you said there, imposter syndrome, you kind of described it as. And I definitely share that. And but I think that's a good thing, because when I covered a lot of football in the first 10 years of my career, I didn't get too carried away with it, but I played football to a good standard when I was when I was younger, and that made me feel like I really understood that sport. But I was an amateur, so I didn't know anything about how professional football worked, really. But I probably didn't work as hard or scrutinise what I was doing as much as I could have done. Then when I started in boxing, it, it, it was different because I just thought, okay, I don't know this sport, as in the, the kind of inner workings of it. I've never done it, and it's just led me... I think definitely to to think a lot more carefully and examine in, in in retrospect a lot more carefully what I've said and the way I think about things than I ever did when I was when I was covering something else. So for, so for us as journalists, I think that's quite a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think so. I think so. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, like as like as I said, it, I think you've just got to be so so respectful for you know what. I mean, you, Matt, for example, was ringside at num- numerous fights of yours, um, and just thinking, what? How on earth do these guys do it? And you, when you come, we can see. No, no offense, but I can see your nose and whatever. You've got a few souvenirs <laughs> from your, uh, got a few souvenirs from that career of yours, haven't you? But yeah, you just, just constantly just walk through walls of pain. And, and, and actually, Matt, now it just, it's just brought to mind. So I remember your last fight. I was ringside for your last fight, Brian Rose. And I remember thinking twice, and I don't even know if you ever read the report, but I said something along the lines of it's time. I think I might have said both of you, but I certainly said you. This is, this is not Matt Macklin at his best. Nowhere near. He needs to retire. Something like that. And Matt, I wouldn't have said it as flippantly as that. But also, but I remember writing that thinking, ooh, wonder if that's going to offend Matt, you know? Um, he was thinking it halfway through the fight, sat on his stool. So you're on the same page there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the time, I wasn't. You know, I didn't. I, I just wondered. You know, you wondered. And um, but compared to like when you were out, because I was out in New York when you were fighting Sergio Martinez. Um, but that journey that you all go on is is a journey that that I'll never, I'll never go on and never really know what it feels like. Um, and I think that for me is is perhaps the the hardest thing is when you're describing or you're attempting to describe these things is that you can't, you can't know what's going on. You can't really know what's going on deep inside. It's a funny one because, you know, when you talk about, uh, well, we, we hear it every time there's the Boxing Writers Dinner in, in London at the Savoy and they talk about, the, or if someone dies, like I remember Brendan Ingle died and had a big function up in Sheffield and they talk about the boxing family come together on, you know, a couple of times a year on certain things. You know, even though there's bitterness and there's back and forth and there's, you know, but it, it's true that is on, on those occasions and on those days and everyone's in the one room, there, you do get this feeling of a wider boxing family. And that's, you know, the boxers are only part of that. The managers, the promoters, the trainers, the cutsmen, the media people. And, you know, over the years when I was fighting, but even more so now, you, you, let's say we're in New York for a fight and, you know, it's a big fight, AJ, uh, Ruiz, you know, so many people in town and you're all mingled together, don't you? You, you, you give your predictions how you think. We just all we just all love boxing, truth be told, and we're all lucky enough to be getting paid to still be involved and to be just chatting it. You know, we're all living the dream, aren't we, really? Let's be honest. No, we absolutely are. And we're also, you know, those fight weeks are absolutely priceless. 
And I don't think there's a single fight week I've been to, particularly out in America, where I haven't had more than one moment where you're kind of pinching yourself and thinking, just take this in, just stop and take this in. You know, I often go and try and see the ring the night before the fight. I like to go and do that on my own. And you just, good grief, this is this is incredible what, you, what you're here to do. Um, but you mentioned that boxing, you mentioned that boxing community, and it really is, it really is there. Um, you know, if I remember, you know, with Michael, Michael Watson, when Michael, I mean, Michael Watson was involved in that car accident a few years ago. And then you've got Scott, I've got Scott Welsh on my phone. And, you know, he's like, you need to get this article out there. You need to rally the boxing community. We need to find out who's done this and everything like that. And then every, you know, you've got, and that's probably not a great example to use almost like a, you know, like a vigilante kind of, uh, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that, but but like, or for example, where you've got like the, the, the Ringside Charitable Trust now, where you've got these, and that's really starting to gather pace and people are starting to pick up on that. So many people now want to help that and, 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 and help the Xboxes in need. You've got the EBAs, which have, which really opened my eyes over the last few years. The EBA stands for the Xboxes Association. Now I must admit, I must admit a few years ago, I just thought it was, a load of, load of old dudes drinking themselves daft on a Sunday afternoon, but what they kind of do and what they're always doing and helping all these other people in the community, it's incredible. It's incredible, but it goes back to that boxing book, doesn't it? And once you've been bitten by it, for better or for worse, you're in, and then you just want to help all those people that are with you, in it. Matt, do you get many people, sort of young, aspiring writers, that want to get involved in media, boxing media, boxing journalism, writing to you, emailing you direct, trying to get in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, I would probably say every single day. I would say every single day, and I do tend to. I, do, I, I mean, I'm really bad. Anybody that that emails me, I mean, even 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 Andy, you're even on the WhatsApp conversations we've had recently. I'm sometimes a bit slow on the uptake. Um, but I'm not great. I'm not great with that. I'm not great with emails. But I genuinely get a ridiculous amount of emails every single day. Um, and but 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 in terms of people writing to me. And asking for my advice or asking me to look at something. I mean, there's, a, there's several people that have been published in Boxing News, but I've taken the time to re- to read it and recognise some potential there. And we'll often go back and forth and just say, well, tr- try 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 this approach with that, try that with that. Uh, there's other people, to be honest with you, that will just the the email will be so rude um, that it astonishes me the nerve of them. They want me to spend some time then looking at the article that's attached to it. Well, the biggest thing, really, the biggest no-no for me is they'll send me an email um, and the, 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 the spelling is all wrong just on the email. Now, you know, with, 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 with um, you, can do a, you can do a spell check now on, on, on Microsoft or on Word. You can do a spell check. At the very least, get the email. Get the, make sure there's no spelling mistakes in the email. Otherwise, what, what am I going to think to go any further? But if there is anybody listening to this, and there's a few people where I have kind of said to them a little while ago that I'm looking at stuff and that the stuff will be published, I do, I always get back to where I'm supposed to be. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get on top of that. So let's finish off then with a, with a few kind of like standout moments maybe, because there, there, are, there are moments that, that punctuate a, a career. And Moment number one, as you outlined earlier on, came when you started booting confectionery around in, in Birmingham city centre somewhere, and you decided <laughs> on a new on a new direction for your for your career. So, what was the first kind of gig you did for getting the job at Boxing News? It was obviously huge, but what was the first gig you did for Boxing News? Fight you went to 
person you interviewed that stands out where you just think to yourself, wow, like I've kind of, not I've made it because we all, you know, we all say, oh, well, I never thought I made it because you've never made it and all, all of that. But, but you know, we've all had moments where you think, holy shit, like this is the kind yeah, of thing well, that I've been hoping for for ages and I'm now doing it. Is there anything that, that stands out, a first one where you just think, you had a look around and thought, wow. Yeah, I remember, um, I mean, Tris, Tris was, was really good to me. Tris was the one, one that interviewed me in the first place. I mean, at that point, they knew that Claude was leaving. I didn't know that Claude was leaving, but Tris interviewed me. Um, and he was just he was just really supportive of, of things that I wanted to do. And I'd done a few bits in the magazine that he really liked. Um, and he just said, who would you who would you like to interview? Um, and I just went, oh, Vander Holyfield. You know, right, see how you get on with that. And he gave me a Vander Holyfield's number. Um, and then I thought, I remember being in the office, so I stayed late for the time difference and then gave Vander Holyfield a call. Um, and then I'd only been in the job, I think, about two or three months at that point. Um, and I remember speaking to a Vander Holyfield, who's one of my favourites when I was growing up. Um, I mentioned Dwight Mohammed Kawi early on, and then I remember Kawi losing to Holyfield in that Titanic cruiserweight fight. Um, and um, yeah, from, from that point on, Holyfield, I just monitored his career. And he was still fighting at that point when I spoke to him. Um, and I remember writing, again, I remember writing quite a difficult article saying that he's putting himself in danger by fighting on because he just sounded like he didn't, he just wasn't aware of anything. Not, not, he didn't sound like he was damaged particularly, but he was just, um, he was just, just convinced that he was going to knock out both Klitschko brothers and, and everything else. And this was a time where he was struggling with, with fighters like, um, uh, he lost a clear decision to Sultan Abragamov. He was struggling with like Sherman Williams and, and those kind of guys. He struggled with with a really old Franz Bota and that kind of thing. But I do remember being on the phone to Evander Holyfield um, and just thinking, wow, this is insane. And then as a consequence of me doing the Muhammad Ali obituary issue that I was working on, a couple of months later, it might only have been, might only have been a few weeks later, I spoke to Angelo Dundee on the phone. And I just did, and for this for a first person account of my life with Muhammad Ali. So I went with that, and I remember speak, I remember he answered the phone, and I said, "Oh, we just I'm overly polite." I thought, oh, "Yes, sorry, this is uh, Matthew from uh, from Boxing News in the UK. Have you uh, got a couple of minutes, please, where you can spare to talk to me?" He was just like, "Absolutely, go on, let's go for it, let's go for it." And Angel, I speak to Angelo Dundee for two hours, and he just gave me about five thousand words of, the, of, of his life with Muhammad Ali, and I on that phone call. You look around and you're just like, wow, I'm talking to Angelo Dundee on the phone. Good grief, good grief. Yeah, so that there was that. And then there was, um, I remember the, one of the first fights, which was an absolute barnstormer, um, was up in Scotland. It was when Ricky Burns fought Roman Martinez in a fight that he wasn't supposed to win. Um, I think it was the WBO. Was it the Rocky Martinez or Roman Martinez? Was it Roman? Roman. Yeah, Roman, Roman, Roman Martinez. Roman. Yeah, um, there was a Rocky Martinez he fought as well, wasn't it? Who put him down? Who he, he had him down? Yeah, I, I think was his nickname Rocky. His nickname might have been Rocky. Right, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the one where Burns got dropped. I think he got dropped yes. once or twice in the first round, and it looked like, as everybody was predicting beforehand, it was just going to be an absolute walkover. And then he came back into it, and I just remember being ringside for that, thinking, "This is this is just this is just," and I'm, I'm here to write about this. I've, you know, I've got to, and I remember the report being really proud of that report. And then you can, there's different milestones then that you go along to. So the first time that I was I was at a fight for boxing news in America was Manny Pacquiao 
a Shane Mosley. Um, and then you just kind of, you, you have your moments there and it just keeps going. And then, but then, then, then a couple of years later, when you sit down, you go and have lunch with Evander Holyfield, not to, not to interview or anything because he's in London and you just meet up with him. Then you start to, that's when you start to really, really pinch yourself. Um, so yeah, it's been, I can't, I can't really put into words what a wonderful journey it's been so far. And all I can say is, I mean, it's, as I say, it's been about 16, 17 years now. Um, and all I can genuinely say is I hope that it's just at the start. I really, really hope that it's just at the start because it's just been glorious. It really has. Yeah, I've, I've again, like I'm, I'm exactly the same. I don't want to do anything else. You know, when you know, I've got sort of a few months almost into covering boxing because I, with broadcast, you kind of, I got in at a radio station, started at Talk Sport. It was mainly football, and you basically you learn how to do the job and you cover what you what you're asked to cover. I always wanted to to work on boxing, but I had to wait until I had enough experience, really, because. It is niche, and if I'd gone in at day one saying I just want to cover boxing, then they'd have just laughed me out of out of the room. But as soon as I managed to start doing it, it's just it's just the best thing. It's just the best sport to cover. It's just everything about it. And and I realised a while ago that I I'm an absolute lifer, um, and it's just I. But it's always kind of a relief when you realise something like that. You realise how lucky you are that, that you're that passionate about this this one particular thing that it wouldn't really matter to me particularly and it's an easy thing to say it wouldn't really matter to me if I hit a lean spell when I wasn't really making too much money because I would just think I'm just going to stick with this because this is what I want to do and 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 therefore it's going to end up what you'll be what you'll be best at I guess it, it, it is kind of hard to explain to people um in a in a way have you, you got a plan to Books is that something which is which is which you're thinking about? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to do books. I'd love to do books, and that is something that I, that I want to do. Um, you know, there's, I've had a few discussions over the years with with various boxers about about doing books, and for one reason or another, it hasn't quite worked out just yet. I think ideally, I mean, I think I feel like it's my. I mentioned earlier about future proofing uh, boxing news, so I almost feel like it's my duty as the editor to take boxing news from the old print kind of era and then place it safely into the new multimedia era and just go right job done and then i go off and i'll do various you know i'd love i'd love to go around the world and, and, and do books and do freelance articles uh do various bits of broadcasting and everything else i mean that that would be that would be lovely that would be lovely but at the moment yeah i feel like my work at boxing news isn't quite done and to be honest if i was going to Kind of going back to what I was saying um, about kind of giving everything, not doing anything until I know I can do the best possible job on it. I think if you're going to do a, bo a book to the best of your ability, then that book must consume you for a period of months. Now, while that book is consuming me, then Boxing News potentially could suffer. Can't go to my boss and say, oh, can I just have, um, just have six months off so I can go and write a book and then I'll come back on, you know, I'll, I'll come back and be the editor again. It's just not going to happen, is it? So, um, yeah, I feel like not quite, I'm not quite there yet, but there are certain plans that I'm making uh, that I won't go into, but for, for the long game, should we say. Okay. Okay. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. It's been a long time coming this since um, we sat at the Crown Plaza uh, just by Madison Square Garden, June the 2nd, after that night of absolute carnage between 
Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. I think you've been up pretty much most of the night doing various things for the website and and all the rest of it. But it was one of those, that's a good example of the demands of the job. It was one of those occasions where every single person who was in that building to watch that happen was wired for like the next three days. You know, Staying up to do stuff was not a problem after that, I wouldn't have thought. No, no, not at all. I mean, that was great. I mean, I remember that. And that kind of goes back to what I was, it's a funny, funny thing about that. I remember doing that podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed doing that podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed being there with you and being there with Matt. And Froch, Froch was kind of there. But I remember it was just the three of us to start off with. Froch was kind of there just being Froch, wasn't he? And he was in the background just, just Taking doing he, ages to tell the bloke just, how many just, egg whites he wanted and the yeah, avocado. And You watch this way to looking at Froch, like just thinking, if I had a gun now, I would kill you. And he was just, <laughs> and he was just doing all that. So the three of us got started on the the three of us got started on the um on the podcast. And I think I one of us made a point about something. Um it might have been Klitschko losing to or no, it was yeah, that was it. It was Lennox Lewis losing to Hassim Rackman. And I remember saying, you can't it's, it's a different fighter, it's a different kind of beating that um that that that, that Ruiz has just given to Joshua. And then Froch comes in, having not heard any of this start. 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 I remember this. If you go back and listen to it, you can. And then, and then, and then I reference Lennox Lewis losing to Hassan Rackman, um, and then Froch more or less turned to me and said, "Oh, you don't know. You don't know. It's complete, you don't know boxing. It's a completely different kind of fight." And I was just like, "Oh no, I said that about half an hour ago, but you were not listening." <laughs> I remember that. It's funny you say that. I remember that really quickly, really clearly, rather, because I remember sitting there just thinking, you know, he talks about cobraing people in the ring, but you just got cobra there. You got you got totally cobra. Like he just wandered over, sat down. He's really, we, we, we're big, we're big Frotch fans. Like he's, he's, he's oh, God, oh, I he's am. I am completely massive. company. He really is. Uh, mm. Saw him last weekend, actually. And you just end up talking about things in a way you just think, how did we get here? Uh, yeah. But, but, um, yeah, I mean, me and Macklin are kind of encouraging Froch to sort of take on the Roy Keane role. This is Matt's idea, Matt's analogy in boxing, <laughs> because he could definitely do that. He's got the caption. No one can argue with what he's achieved. And he's just, he doesn't want to be a trainer or a manager or a promoter, you know, and he, he, he I think he could, I think he could run with that. I think it could be very entertaining. Um, and he's hilarious as well. He's a name that he's <laughs> to be, you know what I mean? He is, he is, he when, is. When, when I used to speak to him on the phone, I used to speak to him regularly just before and sometimes just after fights and what have you, or you'd go and see him. And he would he wouldn't be he wouldn't even mean to make me laugh, but some of the, the way he would say things were genuine. I'd be crying, crying with laughter. What he's one in a million, isn't he? Oh, he really yeah. is. <laughs> oh, he is 100 percent 100 percent Uh we haven't spoken to him for a bit, actually. We should find an excuse to get him back on before it's too long. Okay, so we'll wind it up there. Um, Matt, thanks for this. It's been great fun. Um We'll do it again and not leave it as long as we have uh, this time. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you could get onto iTunes and give us a rate and a review as usual, this will be up on YouTube on Thursday morning. So get over there and have a look and, and, and check out the other content also. And we'll be back again soon. On the right, not that Maggie back in town. I- Said Jenny Diver, whoa, Suki Tawdry, look out to Miss Lottie Linya and old Lucy Brown. Yes, that line falls on the right, babe, not that Maggie.
Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.